Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. At the gun, Gatlin away, and so is Blake. Vico, and here comes Bolt. But Gatlin has a big lead. Can Bolt catch him? Here he is, still invincible! You say Bolt! It's not supposed to be that easy. There you go. It's not supposed to be that easy, Tom, but it is for Usain Bolt. Great commentary by NBC last night, although I would have enjoyed it a lot more if the commentator had gotten, had gotten his lanes mixed up, like our pal Elliot Friedman. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? Usain Bolt has started well. Gatlin's coming on strong in the middle. He's not slowing down. Usain Bolt is beaten. I got my lanes mixed up. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Fortunately, that didn't happen. This is Monday's Irish Times second captain's podcast, but uh, Olympics podcast indeed. So much did happen over the weekend, including that uh, very comfortable win. You were impressed by Usain Bolt, lads? Yes. Uh, You're going to say you were? Touch, no, a touch of the, the lines in winter about it, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a bit slow. Yeah, and 980, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's going to have to do a little better than that. Mm. Well, For me, Owen. I did think he was going to go a lot faster after the semi-final. He ran the semi-final in 986. It was down as 984 originally. I think it was pegged back to 986. And I thought, as usual, looking comfortable, as he always does, I kind of thought maybe he'll run something uh, ridiculous, but didn't need to in the end. Well, I saw that semi as well, and I thought it, it irritates me the way Usain Bolt doesn't keep running in these races. <laughs> you know, how many more times do you think you'll have a chance to cut the world record again? The well, he's is, never going to do it in a semi final. I mean, why would he bother doing it in a semi final, wasting his energy? Yeah, well, well, actually, in the final, he didn't seem to slack off, and he didn't really go that much faster. So, True. I mean, he was saying that it did seem quite a short space of time. He was saying usually we've got at least two hours between the semi and the final, so. It was an hour and 20 minutes or something. Mm. Um, he didn't like that. I love the new addition to the pageantry around the race. If you were up late watching this, they now call out each athlete individually. So Bolt gets to steam out of this makeshift tunnel to, on his own to sort of lift the roof off the place in this great moment of theatre. Justin Gatlin has to assume the role of pantomime villain. So he comes out. Not only does he get booed when he stands there in, in his blocks, but he also now gets booed when he runs out to take his place. Mm. I think Justin Gatlin would happily maybe... 
eschew that option if he let's had all go there. out as a team if if that's okay with everyone. He gets this cacophony of boos. Even after even him in the semi final, Gatlin won a semi, took all the boos, won a semi final, and then ran straight down the tunnel without shaking hands at anyone, without obviously without acknowledging the crowd. It's, it's just it's just strange. I didn't realize Justin Gatlin is the only athlete at the Olympics who's ever tested positive for anything. It uh, seems to be there. Uh, that appears to be the takeaway from. I mean, sometimes you know you just need a focal point. Mm. You know, just to just to prove to yourself that oh no, we are all taking this doping thing very seriously. Look at the treatment we've doled out to mm-hmm. Justin Gatlin. And I think that we can say that for the Brazilian crowd, but we can also probably say that for the world's media as well. What was Gatlin saying? Scapegoat is though, isn't it? Scapegoat is someone who pays um, for the sins of the collective. You know, so that everybody can feel better about themselves mm. when the guilty goat has been burned. You do. You would have to ask yourself. I'm sure you are asking yourself if you're Justin Gatlin. What exactly is it about my case that has meant that everyone else gets a free pass? People say it's because he tested positive twice. That, that and that's always a strong. He's that whatever about you could argue one is an indiscretion, a mistake. The argument that is made sometimes on his behalf is the first one. You know, it was a medicine for ADHD by all accounts. And I don't know if that's even disputed. And he was very young when it happened. So that did seem to be one of those ones where, okay, you're responsible for what's put into your body, but it doesn't seem mm. to have been uh, been performance. Like, unless I'm having the wool pulled over my eyes by Justin Gatlin. And the second one was uh, flat out. <laughs> flat out right. <laughs> so, yeah, and then, and it's also, you know, he, he, he had this extraordinary longevity at the top. I mean, this is a gold medalist from 2004. Mm-hmm. And this is 2016. Here, I, like I don't think we're I don't think we're sitting no. here arguing whether whether Justin or not Gatlin Justin deserves to get longevity. Then the fact that he was faster, he was running faster, supposedly clean than he was when he was. No, dull. but nobody's. No, this isn't the argument of whether somebody's clean or dirty. It's just there's so many dirty athletes now. Yeah, and why is he the one? Like, why, why is he? I the think because he's just a particularly glaring case, and he's in the most famous event. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, like, true. I mean, if there's some doper in track cycling, I, like, who cares? I suppose no one even knows the guy's name. Yeah. No one yeah. knows what is, no one understands what his event is. I'm sorry, I mean, there, there are some, there are, there's a small number of people around the world who understand. Don't pretend like on. you don't know the difference between the Omnium and the Kieran, Ken. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not something that really captures a lot of people's imagination, unlike the 100 meters. Yeah. And I, I guess that's why. It's, it's just it's just by virtue of his prominence that uh, he he's the one who gets it. Wade Van Niekerk became the big story last night, thus smashing Michael Johnson's world record in the four hundred forty three point one eight seconds down to forty three oh three. Forgive me for not jumping out of my seat anymore with these seemingly unassailable records being smashed to smithereens. In this case, by someone who wasn't even the race favorite and had to run in the unfavorable lane eight. Forty three fourteen, Wade would it would have made a big difference to how people would have reacted. I think. I don't, you know, but actually, funny you, you say this again. People, I mean, most of the reaction I read, this is all. I think before people trot out the presumption of innocence line, I'm not presu- presuming this guy guilty. I think there should be a presumption of skepticism in track and field. Surely, as sports fans, we're entitled to be skeptical when something like this happens. And I did see quite a lot of people saying, "Oh, why can't people just let Van Nieker you know, have this moment?" Which I think he did. I don't think, I don't know if he was facing any tough questions afterwards, but uh, I think we all reserve the right to wonder what's happened here. I know he has run 100 metres in less than 10 seconds and he's run this ridiculous 200 metre time and he's been supremely talented. There hasn't just been this random spike but it's Michael Johnson's record as well. It's it's huge. You know, Johnson actually was extremely gracious mm. afterwards in BBC. He was very gripping television I thought just seeing how as Gabby Logan said to Michael Johnson I don't really know what to say to you Michael. Uh, well done on holding the record for so long and uh, commiserations on losing it tonight. And he said look 
you know, you see, we, we had a similar conversation when I lost my 200 meters world record to Bolt, wasn't it? And I got up the next day and got on with my life then. So I think I'll be OK. Michael Johnson doesn't strike me as the kind of person who worries too much about holding these records forever. But uh, it was, you know. Yeah. And this idea of holding a world record in perpetuity. I mean, yeah. if you ask the current holder of the 400 meters record in women's, I mean, ask her where, where the sheer longevity of that record, what that's done for her credibility or her reputation. I mean, you know, after a while, you're kind of hoping these records get beaten because that shows that your, your your performance is within the arc of natural human evolution and athletic evolution. You don't necessarily want to be the standout person whose record lasts well, for this record 80 years. This record 103 years old, uh, uh, granddaughter of, uh, <laughs> aging granddaughter of uh, Michael Johnson. What does this say about your grandfather? Mm. You know, like I, 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 I think at some stage you are possibly even relieved uh, that you that you you're on an arc rather than you know the the lone star i don't know if you were listening to me on friday's podcast Murph. i mean you were here in studio i just, I just don't know often. <laughs> still not a guarantee i don't know how closely you're listening but you do you remember my highlight of the weekend that i pegged in advance no right <laughs> you don't no. right <laughs> what was it oh i'm sorry well it was the sports minister shane ross versus oh. oci president yes. pat hickey behind the red button yeah behind the red button they were going to be meeting they're gonna and this is one of those strange meetings where in advance, Shane Ross had talked up how... What he was going to do in that yeah, what This is what I'm going to go, and this is what I'm going to ask, this is what I'm going to get out of it. This is all over the ticketing scandal in Rio. I, there was no... It wasn't behind the red button, uh, Murph, but there's no need for it to be because Shane Ross has come out blazing, Ken. He's, he's given chapter and verse. Um, this is really, really strange. As you mentioned, Shane Ross went a bit mystic Mac ahead of this meeting, and um, <laughs> Hickey was going down in the second or whatever. You know, It, it, it turns out he, they went into the meeting... So they describe it... Um, so essentially, he, he was going over, Shane Ross was going over to ask a lot of tough questions as to how this near thousand tickets ended up in the hands of somebody who was allegedly touting them. These a bunch tickets of, that were earmarked for the OCI. That, that was the, the basis of what he was going over to ask. Yeah, Olympic Council of Ireland, tickets somehow ending up being hawked around Rio. Uh, what's going on? Why did this happen? Um, so Mr. Ross's, uh, Minister Ross, his description of the meeting was fairly tense, fairly direct, fairly frank. Pat Hickey described the meeting as excellent. <laughs> um, now, the, uh, this is in, in Shane Ross's words. We just met a brick wall. I basically went in and, and, and didn't get anything out of Hickey. He said, I've said all along, uh, I, don't, I don't think the OCI inquiry is credible. It's the OCI having an inquiry into what happened because they are a major player in this particular controversy. So I think it would have been far preferable and more sensible and it would have been a credible committee in which I could have had confidence if there was an independent to sit on it. Now I feel that the committee has fought from the beginning. So basically, Shane Ross is saying we need an independent person on this committee to oversee to help oversee the inquiry. Patrick said no. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, under senior counsel advice, we're carrying out, out our own investigation, which has already started. We are not investigating ourselves. We are investigating the trail of the tickets and what has happened. So he's saying we don't need any other person on there. But Shane Ross isn't like this because I suppose he comes out of this looking a little, say, the, the pre-fight prediction mm. didn't, didn't go as planned. It's always a danger of these Muhammad Ali-style predictions in advance. So now you've, now you've got to sort of explain what happened to an extent. Um, so Shane Ross says the reputation of Ireland has to be upheld 
I mean, that's getting quite serious. Yeah. Reputation of Ireland is at stake here. here the credibility. Well, hold, on, hold on, I I care about that. The credibility of Ireland and the Irish inquiries of this sort have to be sustained. I care about those two things. As we well. met a situation where a body that is supported by the taxpayer is now refusing to let representatives of that taxpayer be part of this inquiry. It's something I take extremely seriously, and the mood was very very somber indeed. It's a terrible spectacle. I think the OCI simply has its head in the sand over this issue. I think they feel somehow they are above accountability to the Irish people. And to the government, and that situation cannot be allowed to cannot be allowed to continue. Oof. So that's uh, it's fighting talk. It's fighting talk. Um, Don't you open your mouth about the best? <laughs> <laughs> that's what Shane Roth should have. Uh, uh, that so, sounds like more of a Pat Hickey thing to say, though. To m- be honest, Mr. Hickey uh, is arguing that uh, he says that while there is an Irish citizen in jail, the person who is in jail is uh, Kevin Mallon, who is an Irish citizen. He was the guy who uh, the the guy who had the tickets. tickets. Yeah. Um, we have to be extremely careful in what we disclose. He is innocent and improve, improve, until proven guilty. And uh, this is what they were told by their lawyers, he says. And anything we could say in disclosure of facts could be prejudicial to a fair trial. So we can do and say nothing until this <laughs> well, trial has finished its natural course. Uh, well, I'm sure that's a very valid reason for, the, for him not to say anything to the media. Yes. Yeah. But for... What the hell does that have to do with the conversation to because fill in the Minister of know, our government? There are yeah. investigations taking place also. There's the investigation taking place by the police, which is, I suppose, that one he talks about there. But uh, aren't the Rio authorities supposed to be investigating this as well? So presumably they're asking some questions. Mm. I don't know whether those questions do or don't prejudice anything that's going on with Mr. Mallon. Yeah, I mean, basically, number one, no independent person on this committee, they, they refuse that citing legal advice, and they also refuse to give any information. The, the OCI declined, this is from a statement by Shane Ross, a written statement which was sent out. The OCI declined to answer any questions about the recent tickets controversy on the grounds that it might prejudice the case before the Brazilian courts. Mm-hmm. The OCI also stated it would not provide any information to any third party, including any independent inquiry the minister might establish, until such time as the case concludes. So uh, the minister is saying he doesn't accept, we, I don't accept, that there is any legal basis for refusing to accept independent members in the OCI's inquiry. Tomorrow, Minister Ross, tomorrow meaning today, proposes to discuss the matter with Minister of State for Sport and Tourism, Mr. Patrick O'Donovan, will also raise the matter with the Attorney General. The decision will be made on the basis of these consultations. The OCI, I don't think, is looking too good out of this. You know, they, they've, they've kind of gone into hedgehog mode. No. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want anyone, you know, sticking their nose into what happens. It could prejudice a lot of cases. <laughs> uh, I mean, when Shane Ross is saying that they're a, they're a body that receives government money and therefore, you know, are subject to something. You know, I mean, public, we've got some stake in it. I presume publicly funded body is subject to public scrutiny, and that's a, that's a principle which I think a lot of people can relate to. Sure I, I think we're all on board with that, to be honest. I think we, I think we can all, I can speak safely for a large majority of the country that we, when we say, if we're paying for something, we need to know how that, you know, how that shakes out. Yeah, not all the time, but when something bad goes wrong, you know, it's the case. Of, yeah, we well, don't care the, most of the time. Most, but of, I mean, most of the time, to be, to be frank, we're not even reading the reports. The emails yeah. are sent and they go straight into the bulk, bulk folder. You don't even pay any attention. Yeah. Um, we, we presume that everything's in order. Yeah. But, but now our like representative, our happen, man on the floor... Shane Ross, he's got a problem. That's big, though. It's this is really serious. This isn't. It, it's not. Patiki isn't fobbing off a, a few pesky journalists or something like that who are oh, asking he, some awkward questions. Yeah, he's, he's not, got the sportsman. He's got the government asking these questions, and he's, as you say, going into hedgehog mode over it. Yeah. And not, not, not only that, 
these things could be happening and we wouldn't... Oftentimes we don't hear about machinations between government, you know, between these sort of bodies like the OCI and the government. In this case, Shane Ross seems to immediately after going into these meetings or he's, he's, he's being very public about everything, which uh, I, don't, I don't know the reasons for being so public, but obviously we it's good that we all know what's happening. Yeah. Or at least we know what's happening from one side of it. We don't know exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, 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 it strikes me as a situation where this is... Uh, you know, there there has been an intrusion into the world of Olympic politics, hmm. and it seems to be very. It, it did the OCI seem flabbergasted that for some reason someone could have a jurisdiction above and beyond the Olympic Council of Ireland? I mean, this is Olympics land, and Pat Hickey is a very, 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 very important man <laughs> in Olympics land. Hmm. But there is an alternative reality. Some would say. A, you know, a less glamorous reality out here that we live in. And uh, we're going to have to, unfortunately, pull the blinds up on Olympics land. And uh, let's have a little look and see what we can see. We'll, we'll follow this for the rest of the week. I'm sure Mo Farah stormed a victory in the 10,000 metres on Saturday night, but he did face some tough questions afterwards about his association with a coach recently busted for possessing EPO and some other banned substances. The man asking those tough questions was Ewan McKenna, who'll join us a little bit later on after we talk Hurling Murph, incredible weekend. Yeah, both your counties knocked out. Whatever I'm going, <laughs> I love my county. Within uh, within 18 hours, well, within about 20 hours, really. I mean, I, Waterford got knocked out at what was it, half eight? People <laughs> of Waterford are my life. <laughs> Sorry, and sons of those people. <laughs> John, John, thank you. John Milan clips get me every. It's time. not like they're new necessarily. Old. They're can I repeat it? Can I repeat a joke I made on Twitter? Please, I'll oh, go on. I said I um I switched over from the men's beach volleyball at the Olympics. Yeah, and the first sight I was greeted with from Thurlis was Dan Shanahan prouding the touchline. Yeah. And it took me a couple of seconds to realise I changed the channel. I hope he looks like he should better in print than, uh, than it worked here. On. Oh, sure. He looked like he should have been... What was he wearing? He's got the backwards cap. Right. Dan, Sh- Dan Shanahan's an assistant manager now. You know, was he wearing a, little, a singlet and his tiny short, shorts? Well, no, see, the men don't wear tiny shorts. I don't know why there's no scandal about this. And the, the, men, the, the men's beat volleyball players are wearing basically... Bermuda shorts. It's, it's really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his were actually, if anything, in fact, they were certainly shorter. Certainly shorter, yeah. And he had this kind of really tight top. He's obviously built like a... Yeah. Mm. But it's, it's, there are sleeves on his top. I mean, that's the only real... I'm just saying, it wouldn't surprise me if Dan Shanahan had some training and was I'm, quite a talented sur- beach volleyball player, but I digress. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me either. I digress from your point. I do apologise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what my point was anymore. So. Uh, two great games. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They were absolutely brilliant. They were utterly brilliant games, um, and you know it, it. It it kind of it gets to the stage where at, at the, uh, this year you were just happy for a game to go down to the wire. Now it, what's happened in the last the last three games, the last eight days, we've had three games that were very high, varying quality. I mean, goal in Tipperary. There were a lot of mistakes made in goal in Tipperary yesterday, but they all went down to the wire, and that's kind of all you ask, you know. But it's kind of weird. The the two losing teams. Obviously, Galway and Waterford. There's usually loads of questions, loads of regrets, you know. And I'm sure Waterford have regrets about last Sunday, but about last Saturday, I mean, there's not a lot more that those teams can do. I mean, I think that you know they're both young teams. They're both managers will hopefully stay on for a good number of years. Um, there's not a massive amount of recrimination amongst no. fans afterwards. As just you're kind of left with, yeah, we just kind of blew two massive opportunities. 
and that's it. You know, mm. the, you know, you can't say right. Well, that's the end of those three players. Yeah, there's no Justin the... Gatlin figure in either team. No, and I think maybe they, it might make it easier. <laughs> but all they have at the moment is just oh god, oh imagine oh no ah. And that's it. <laughs> you, know, you can't. You can't. You know, there's there. There are very few. I mean, Porik Omani. You know, you would think he's the scapegoat. You'd have, you know, free sixty-five yards out on the angle to draw the game. I mean, he put the ball over the bar. The only thing that happened was the Kilkenny goalkeeper went up and caught it over the bar. I mean, if there's no one there, it's a point. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of hard to have you know to point at that guy and say, well, you should have hit a point only just higher. You know, and David Collins, like his one touch in the game was a miscontrolled, you know, miscontrolled touch on the sideline. And that was kind of the end of the game. I mean, you can't really point fingers at two guys like that and say, well, you should have been better. Yeah. Um, and what we're left with is a Kilkenny Tipperary final. But I'm actually excited about it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's a bad thing after the way that the two games have gone the last L- couple of uh, L- weeks. Yeah, Limerick Seamus Hickey will join us. Maliki Clerken is here. Maliki, you look energised by that weekend of early. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the spirit. God, I was walking in here. I, I, I was talking to somebody last night and said, well, you're at the hurling all weekend. And I said, yeah, if that bloody game yesterday had a drawn, I'd have burnt Crook Park to the ground. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't face another weekend of working Saturday and Sunday. No, I'm, I'm messing. I'm messing. Uh, yeah, like it was, it was great. Um, Saturday night now, I have to say, was was one of the one of the great sort of occasions um, that I've been at in a long time. You know, it was really the tension right from the start. Um, it, it was proper, you know, a proper venue for the crowd that size. The crowd was all energised. The Waterford crowd more so from the start, uh, but then, <laughs> then the Kilkenny crowd got energised by the referee, and um, <laughs> that helped as well. Um, and yes, it was great. You know, uh, it. I, I. I don't know if it was quite the the epic that the day before was, or even last Sunday was. But um, yeah, like ten minutes to go, there was serious tension in the place, and um, it was it was a good finish. I thought. Yeah, it's kind of all you can hope for, really, that the that the two games would go down to go mm. down to. I mean. All four teams scored between two seventeen and two nineteen. Yeah, and you end up with well, you end up with Kilkenny and Tipperary in the final again. But I mean, it's it, it. There isn't a whole lot more you can ask from two games that they go all the way down to. In in both cases, really, a mistake by David Collins and a mistake by Porik O'Mahony. If you want to be well, very harsh, or more it. so, like had both games gone on another five minutes. Yes. It's fifty-fifty which side would have won in both cases. You know, it was. You know, it was. It was just one of those, two of those great uh, games that that you get uh, in GA, where um, it's a matter of of who's holding the ball when the music stops. Really, uh, that that comes out ahead. Like there was very little between both sides. Like a line in the paper today. You know that the the sort of. easy thing that you say about Tipperary these days is that they would have lost that game last year actually they they actually literally did lose that game last yeah. year almost uh, you know in, in very similar circumstances they just came out a point behind whereas this year they came out a point ahead um, and I have no trouble with Tip Kilkenny in the final like they're I'm really, really looking forward to it. I don't really care about uh, yeah. a lack of variety on, and, yeah. uh, after yeah, yeah. a weekend like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that that, that's, that that feeling is general too. I think that the, the it's it's not it's not a boring tip, Kilkenny. Well, exactly. If they had both eased in by nine points, that's a different story. But like they both really, really have had to earn it. 
Seamus, uh, immediately on TV after the game on Saturday night, the Lachlan and the boys in there were talking about this as a sort of a classic that will be talked about in years to come. That's always easy to say immediately after a game, and sometimes the excitement wears off and you start looking at it a little bit differently retrospectively. What do you think? Is that an all-time classic? Yes, I, uh, yes and no. All time is a bit is a bit much, but uh, I, I was just I was thrilled. I was thrilled with the with the quality that was served up in the last two weekends. I genuinely was. Um, as a neutral spectator, i i went to I went to both sets of games. Genuinely, not that bothered with who came out uh, through them, as long, as long as as the quality and the standard was was high. Now. There was a time when we were actually taking it for granted that th- these games were going to be a high quality and that we were getting good mm-hmm. hurling at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, last year kind of let us down a small bit. The, the Galway Tip game was probably the, the, the one game of note before the All Ireland uh, of qualities. But this year, I, I was just, I was thrilled with the with the spectacle of both of them, with the the nervous tension at the end of both, the the the, the fact that the results could have gone either way in any of the three games. Um, you know, and I suppose, you know, the, the clamour for the, the good, honest hurling where heart and, and justice prevails. <laughs> was that, that was, that was. Listen, it, it came through in the end, and I, I think the, the narrative in both games was actually kind of interesting because a, a lot of people kind of got caught up in the Watford Canadian, and listen, I'm guilty of it as well. Got caught up in the in, in the the whole. Listen, Jones, wouldn't it be great for if Watford won it? Uh, for a change, but then you know I, I took a step back after the first game, and and a game where I genuinely didn't feel that Kilkenny deserved anything of what they got. I, I don't think they deserved the replay from their first game's performance. But I just couldn't help but bloody admire them, and uh, and I have admired that Kilkenny team for close to a decade now, and I still kind of I'm, I'm still wondering how they keep managing to produce. Uh, in, in unlikely situations and then turning unlikely situations then into a replay where oh yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a given now that they're going to win it's they're they're an amazing bunch of people they're an amazing bunch of men um, their mentality is like there really should be like Harvard studies done on it um, in so far as you know their their mental ability and their mental their their mental I suppose capacity to to handle situations of so many varying degrees and still come out on top. The Galway, the Galway Tipperary game then was um, kind of you know a, a lot of people I was talking to at least anyway were, were kind of hoping for this Galway redemption of of um, getting back to the, the All Ireland again, but looking for a different result against the same team. And, and Tipperary seemed to be all forgotten in it uh, by a lot of people I was talking to. But I, I kind of had a feeling. I had a feeling uh, as the championship progressed, was say even the Munster Championship, and I know Tipperary didn't actually face that great a challenge in the Munster Championship um, but uh, they they just I feel like they're a better team than they were last year um, I think they played Sunday like they were a better team this year than they were last year uh, but again it was only circumstances and and fortuitous circumstances in some cases with Joe's injury and with like, even the last play of the game could have gone either way so uh, you know was it a, class, a classic for the ages Listen, I, I let other people debate it, but I, I absolutely loved uh, all three games for, in both, both semi-finals, and I'm not going to argue with them. So. Uh, Watford Kilkenny, if you go back to that first, um, there, I, it always strikes me that there's a game every maybe two years where the brilliance of Cody, like the the permanence, of the, like just the fury of a man close to his seventies, where that just kind of hits you just really, really forcefully, and. 
Saturday, it, it felt like one of those nights where it was like, God, like you can, you can actually talk about the players and you can talk about the mentality of the of the team and how they're never betting. There's there's no end to them, but at the same time that the, the story revolves around Cody, and it seemed that Saturday was one of those days that we've had maybe you know seven or eight of them in the last ten years, Seamus. No question. I, I was I was actually amazed. I, I'd love I'd lo- I'd, I'd have loved a, a manager cam on oh. Saturday because <laughs> I, because it, it really would have been it would have been amazing because it's so rare that he is that animated. Uh, and I found I found even the last few years the, the times where he has got that animated, it's in response to a challenge that it's almost as if like you are sitting back waiting. Come on, challenge us, challenge us. And then when they meet a real challenge that actually has merit behind it and, and you know danger for them. Like he he kind of he responds to it, and he, it it just looked like he was trying to be that emblem of what Kilkenny were trying to achieve on Saturday. You know, they they were under undercooked the previous Sunday. That the the usual energy that you would expect from them wasn't there. Waterford were clearly the more energetic and the more aggressive team the previous week, um, and it just felt that he said he was going to lead and he was going to show show the example that, that he wanted the players to follow. I agree with you that when I'm talking about the players' mentality and how amazing the players are, and, and they are, uh, they are an extension of of, of that man's leadership. Uh, and that has been constant in the last 10 years. That, that is one of the true constants in, in all of the teams. The so- yeah, sorry, Maggie, you want to come in? I was just going to laugh. The sideline stuff is bonkers. I mean, uh, like, you're looking at it and you're thinking, is Brian Cody, are Brian Cody and Dan Shanahan going to have a physical <laughs> fist fight? This would be very weird and wrong, but I will watch. I, mean, I, will, I will certainly watch. Sorry, Maggie. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have for, for, for went a manager cam just to get a manager mic. I would have given oh, yeah. anything to work out to know what he was saying all the way through that game because he never shut up. Like you know, he was it was it was Davy Fitz levels of gabbing all the way through to anybody that was within uh, ten, fifteen, or even fifty yards of him. He was giving it plenty, but like he's an extraordinary, extraordinary figure in Irish sport. And sometimes I think that we. We forget it or overlook it or take it for granted. Um, I, like I was, we, we interviewed him in the tunnel afterwards and he was talking about, um, he'd just come from the ward for dressing room there and, um, and it was a scene of destruction and whatever. And it struck me, gee, God, he must have done that a million times. And I actually went and looked. So in 18 seasons as Kilkenny manager, he's come from... He's given a speech in the losing dressing room 15 times in All-Ireland semi-finals. Like, that's insane. Mm. It's really genuinely um, astonishing to think of somebody uh, having done that. And yet there's, there's the other side of him that, uh, like, Murphy, you're exactly right, and Seamus, you're exactly right. Like, they're, they're so admirable and they take their lead from him and it's, it's incredible to watch. And yet, the other side of him is is kind of really horrible. Like the, at halftime on um, Saturday night, he like he shouldered a couple of like Wardford players out of the way to insinuate himself in beside the referee walking down the tunnel, giving him loads. James McGarry did the same. Ned Quinn, the Kilkenny chairman, did the same uh, to the fourth official, like sort of two rows behind as they were going down the tunnel. And it was really forceful, really finger wagging, re- really horrible. Like so. So at the end of the game, like when when Kilkenny had won the game after this fantastic epic, 
referee walks off the game or walks off the ground and all the Kilkenny fans who had seen Cody course the referee down the tunnel at half time ran to the tunnel to fire invective at the referee walking off like that's that's really crap like that's that that's really kind of unacceptable I kind of think you mm. know and I know emotions run high and tensions run high and we asked Cody about it afterwards and he said well you know of course I got animated Derek got am- animated everybody gets animated if you're not am- animated in a game like that you'd want to go and get yourself checked out and that's ho 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 and yeah isn't it isn't it great but I f- it's kind of unacceptable to, to he essentially bullied the referee at half time and that, you know that's probably not w- good enough but would, would he argue that, that that's just part of top level sport you see it with managers in the Premier League you see yeah. it everywhere and that's what this is he's, he's in a top he's, he's in the business of high level sport and, yeah, par- and maybe part of it is getting any sort of advantage you can and like sure but, pa- but part of it also is taking criticism for you know part of it is you know <laughs> I, I mean I, I'm always loath to go let's think of the children but you know come on you know we, we tell kids the whole time not to be screaming at the referee we surely tell them not to be barging people out of the way so that you can you know you can More get in his face yeah, yeah. you know and like the ref took a huge amount of abuse walking off at full time after a game Kilkenny had won from Kilkenny fans who had seen their manager do it at half time. Yeah, well, and well, and this is it. You know what I mean? This is the the you're at the heart of it then because it's it's not just that Cody can you know go into sort of the retirement age that he's in now and just kind of relax and you know if we win one if mm. we lose one. I mean, what's interesting about him is that. Like yeah. the, the, you know the, the, oh, yeah. the complications like, of exactly, of and, I w- and I mean, I I wouldn't want to overstate it or belabor it. I mean, the, the what what I'll always remember from Saturday night is the indomitable will of this Kilkenny team, and obviously that comes from this man and his personality and uh, how he's able to get them out of it. But there is that other side of it that is is kind of ugly to look at. Does it go over the top, Seamus? But listen, I I, I hear you, Melky. I just I. I just seen I've seen that as a as a kind of a, a kind of a mark of of dominant teams regardless of mm. sports. You know, I, like I'm looking back even 2007 when we played them in All Ireland final. I didn't see too many nice Kilkenny players on the field. I'll be honest. Yeah. You know, I didn't see too many nice guys that were you know there to to uphold the the nature of the game at the cost of all else. I'll be honest. I didn't see too many Limerick guys who were doing the same. Mm. You know, I, I just I feel, I feel like I, I do agree with you. Right? There's no. I don't think there's any angle you can take where abusing a referee or intimidating a referee to, to any high level is acceptable. Uh, I, I do 100% agree with that. But, but I just I don't I wouldn't like to paint a picture of of that has been premeditated or even you know deliberate. I do think that a lot of that is is the heat of competition and the heat of of I suppose the the competitive drive that they have. Um, now I'm looking at other teams, like, and I, I could list off a heap of managers that I think are, you know, are, are, are over the top when it comes to referees and are borderline disrespectful. You know, I've I've had to change my my tone of referees over the years because as a young fella, I was uh, an ass. <laughs> 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 let's, let's be let's be let's be perfectly straight about this. Like, I, I you know I uh, my first couple of years of intercounty hurling, I had to shut up. Um, but I, I learned a bit, and I'm a, I I hope I like to think I'm a bit different now. But it, it, I suppose. Is it Cody's fault, or is the fact that you know 
this this behaviour around referees is tolerated across yeah. the board. I don't. Think I'd accept that. Case. Absolutely, I'd accept I, I, that. Yeah. I don't think it's an isolated case. I yeah. don't think that Kilkenny are particularly different because, like to be honest, like Henry Shefflin is one of the one of the people I admire most in Gaelic games. But I thought he was an absolute tyrant when it came to referees <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, and his ability to influence the game on so many different levels and in so many facets. But is he a bad person? Absolutely not. Um, and we still admire him for his yeah, I know, I know, I am, and I mean, I wouldn't be attacking Cody's character I, at all, but it's just, yeah, I, yeah, it, yeah. it, it just, it was a bit of a sour note for me. But I mean, it was, it is, the, the, it, is the, the like, whole, it is, and even, and even when Fitzy's lipping up and down and doing somersaults and cartwheels, and, and the, the linesman is just after calling the line ball that was clearly <laughs> the other team, and yet he still gets an earful. Go on, Malika, yeah, last, last word on this. Ah, but like the, the, that isn't what I would take away from the game, is what I'm saying. I, there was just an element yeah, of it, yeah, like the, definitely worth the, noting, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, but like the. the it was the game itself was a total epic is there anything Seamus that Waterford will think about this morning and yesterday morning that they could have is there anything else they could have given it didn't look as though there was but they'll, they'll, think, they'll, they'll think about every single minute of that match I guarantee you no question um, I, I, I'm imagining if, if the Waterford fellas are, are you know, and, and I, I know a couple of them if there, is there any way the way I think they are I think they're thinking about this game for the next month Um and I think they're thinking about the opportunity lost. That's the that's the reality of the, of of the situation. They're thinking about the first game. They're thinking about the second game. They're thinking about the the first two goals in the first half of the second game. They're thinking about the last goal of the first game. They're thinking about uh, the Hawkeye points in the first game. They're thinking about the the unnecessary wide they had in the second half of the second game. They're thinking about everything. So yes is the answer. Uh, there are things <laughs> they're thinking about. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, incredible. I mean, I mean you know, the, would, the yes, point I here know. that yeah. I would make though is that, say, um, a lot of people are saying to Waterford people and to the, and I'm sure to the Waterford hurlers themselves, listen, you've a young team, mm. you know, you're you're there now, you've proven yourself against Kilkenny. There's an All Ireland there for you. I mean, no comfort in the immediate aftermath. Zero. Exactly, Zero and and to be honest, it's it, there's there are no even if it was a guarantee, it's not a comfort and it's not a guarantee. Because, you know, you say you look at Clare in 2013 and say, and they're the team that won their All-Ireland. And you're, the, the immediate presumption was then that, right, well, you know, it's a gilded generation. Now, you know, let's just sit back and watch the, the Clare era unfold. And it hasn't happened. You know, like, say, yeah. you know, you can go back to, to you guys pushing Kilkenny as hard as you did in the semi-final in uh, 2014. Um, you know, like, all these teams have gotten close but it's no guarantee that, you know, you start at base camp every year. You don't start from, you know, where Watford were at, you know, after with five minutes to go in the, the drone game. I, I think that's the nature of, of, of the championship structure too, though. It's amazing that, um, it, so you come into the following year and your first game then either sets you on one of two paths and different teams handle the, the different paths differently. And like, there isn't very much between any of the top teams. And, I, and it's funny, like, I know that uh, we had four teams in the semi-finals this year that, are, that were superb and they really, really were excellent this, this, the, the last two weekends. But there's, there's teams, and we've seen it from Division 1 hurling, that there really isn't much between all these teams. And it's funny the way you, know, you can handle your first round in the Munster Championship, your first round in the Leinster Championship, and you, you, you can go off one of two ways. You can lose by a very fine margin, you can lose by two points in the Munster Championship, and that's a one-score game, and there could have been any number of things that happened in that game. And then you have to handle a defeat 
and it's the end of the world and it's a disaster because now you've you've lost in in the the primary route to an All Ireland final. Then you have to handle that and you you have to compact that and go to the qualifiers and say right this is the route we're going now and you have to get your head around that like it, there's so many variables in the championship structure we have and there's actually so few hurling teams and so few hurling games in the greater scheme of things that you know i suppose the the the, the more direct analogy i can i can i can offer is so the nfl in in america is only a 16 game season right that is incredibly short by any professional sports standard any game so and that's shorter that shorter season in that sport leads to a much higher variability and a much higher level of change. Uh, I know there's underlying circumstances there, but I would say the same for hurling. It's it's very hard to predict what happens when so many teams are of such a high standard and their margins are so slim. And I, that's I'm just basically trying to reinforce the point that you can't take anything for granted because it is a competitive league, it is a competitive championship, and you know you just don't know. Uh, year to year, uh, personnel injuries, all that kind of thing. So you, you can't take anything for granted. Granted, and in the Waterford case, um, you know, I don't think they can either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tip uh, just to turn our attention to them, Maliki. You mentioned how they essentially lost this game last year, and they've lost a lot of games in recent years. Was it six games by uh, a goal or less yeah. since 2012, since they beat Cork mm. by a narrow scoreline? That does obviously create questions, and I think it's mm. fair enough that that creates questions. Did they answer all of them yesterday? Uh, Some of them? I don't know if they answered all of them, but I, I think it was very good for them uh, to win a tight semi-final and get that out of the way uh, instead of having it something that people were going to be talking about in a final against Kilkenny, which they're obviously not going to win by 14 points, you know. So, um, it's I, I think they answered some of their questions, but I, I think... Of all the Tipperary teams we've seen at this point of the year over the last maybe five years, it's it's maybe the one that there are most questions about because there's so many new players on it. Um, you know, the they had I uh, I think four players yesterday playing their first championship game in Croke Park, uh, which is kind of weird to think about when you're kind of thinking about Tipperary and All Ireland semi final, but. Um, they uh, are they are a different team. Um, I don't know if they're a better team. They're I don't know if they're they're a better team to watch. Uh, I, I think they're probably not a better team to watch than they were in the Eamon O'Shea years. But I I think they're all they have achieved uh, what was uh, um, described as a pejorative term earlier this year. They've achieved very severe functionality um, <laughs> and uh, they do the basics incredibly well um, but like when they needed a game changer yesterday okay Bubbles did the uh, did the scoring got the goal and very few players on the pitch could have taken that, that goal the way they did but the guy who turned the game was Bonner Maher in the second half chasing back and hooking and blocking and tackling and starting attacks f- from turnovers that was really what, what what got them motoring and got them facing in the right direction and got them playing in the right direction. And that was, I thought, the key difference in, in the game yesterday. And, like, if Mick Ryan will take that as, as his team's identity going into an All-Ireland final against Kilkenny, a team that are going to fight, a team that are going to hook and block and, you know, pay their bills that way, uh, rather than like I, I did a piece on Saturday about the change in them, and, and Owen Kelly was saying that he, 
he'd say Mick Ryan was sick of hearing that he had six Noel McGraths in his team, you know, lads that could take uh, take the eye out of your head from 50 metres. Uh, he needed he needed players in there to win ball back, to tackle and hook, and they have that. So that's it's it's not unlike maybe other years it's not so much a contrast in styles in the final i think i think it could you know it's a sort of a slugger's paradise and and that is what he's like that for a guy who's come in in his first year and who was there as a selector beforehand that's ballsy stuff to to decide to change a team that way he's in a final now and this is what he would have wanted um and i i, I suspect uh, maybe even secretly, this is the team he would have wanted. Seamus, last word to you: a, sh- a slugger's paradise this final. I, 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 just, I just disagree with Maliki. I actually do think they're a better team. I think um, uh, I'm, I, I'm not 100 percent sure how functional they can be when they can rout a team for five goals. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just like, John, like I think John McGrath is a serious upgrade. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that Breen is a is a serious upgrade. I think that Seamus Kennedy is a serious upgrade. Uh, I think their full back line is is uh, I, I think their class. I'll be honest. I, I think Barris, Barry and uh, and Cahill. I think they're a serious unit. Um, saying that, looking across at the other Kenny team, but um, I, I just think I think they're a better team than they were. Uh, I think that they've got more options for scores. They're, it's not Seamus Callan or else. It's not Bubbles or else. Um, I like uh, Marty Morrissey said a crazy thing yesterday at one point in the first half yesterday when. Uh, Breen scored a point from uh, around the middle of the field. He goes, and now Breen has the same amount of points as he has goals in the championship. Four <laughs> four. <laughs> I thought it was mental, you know. So, you know, and and that's a threat. And to be honest, that's that's what killed us. They won was was that actual midfield threat and and, uh, and the goals that came from deep. Uh, and I suppose again did it in, in the monster final. I think they're a better team. I think they're I think they're really well equipped to to go ask Kilkenny. Uh, we've seen from Kilkenny that they're up for anything. Uh, they'll handle anything, but I, I, I do think I do think I fancy this Tipperary team. Um, I fancied them before the Galway game. I fancied them after they beat us. They obviously took us the best team out of it. So uh, <laughs> I, I won't invest. But no, I genuinely did. I, early in the year, I, I, early in the year, I thought this was an excellent Tipperary team, uh, and nothing has happened to change my mind. All right, Seamus sounds confident, Maliki. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I would. I know it's whatever. Three weeks ago, I'd, uh, I'd kind of side with them myself at this point, uh, especially if. If I know, we presume that Michael Fenley won't make it, so uh, yeah, I'd probably that's go with him as well. That's a huge fact. Yeah. Uh, all right, lads, listen, absolutely brilliant from the two of you. Maliki, thanks so much. Seamus, great to talk to you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. And he is my second captain. Second captain, that's uh-huh. a humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. All right, really great stuff there by the two boys, by Maliki and Seamus on the hurling. So much Olympics. I come in, I, I come in after the Olympics, and it's, I just don't even know what to talk about. Mm, there's just so much. Did to you see talk the tennis, Sandy Murray? Yes, I did actually. I ended up watching more tennis than I had planned. To. Yeah, I didn't really want to no. you know, spend the Olympics weekend watching tennis. No, but it was you, also you feel like good. you should be watching something that you don't usually watch, but yeah. it really dragged you in. And Puerto Rico's first ever gold medal in I the. Couldn't, I couldn't watch it. Well, listen, well, Ken, then you're, you're out of this conversation. 
you didn't want... <laughs> I didn't, no, no, I didn't mean that. You've literally just turned Oh, he's storming out. Ken, please. Well, Take your seat, Ken. The Come Olympics on. Is, is not supposed to be tennis and golf and all this nonsense. You're right, Ken, of course. I mean, you are we're, right, we're, but both, then, we're, we're making the point, but, but when there's top, great sport happening... Yeah, and top-level sport is, especially when you're, when you're being dragged in. When, you're, when you've got a decision between about three different sports and one of them has an atmosphere like the tennis did, yeah. the Argentinian fans were insane. To the point that they were getting kicked out. Yeah. They were shouting, Murray's trying to take shots and they're shouting at him and ah! getting kicked out. <laughs> Just on the... So um, forth. The two boys were... Serve. I know Del Potro looks like he's tired even when he's not, but he was... The two of them at the end hugged. You know the way with this tennis is always... The, there's this uh, idea of it being gladiatorial combat mm. and all this kind of thing. Sometimes it's a little bit overdone, that angle of it. But I must say, the two of them yesterday, even when Murray won, he, it's like they hugged each other and they couldn't actually get off each other's shoulders. Yeah. They were that tired and that spent emotionally. It just looked uh, really good there. And uh, The Argentinian fans, I think, contributed quite a lot to it. It's time now for... Oh, no, I'll tell you what, Ken. You can tell us what's coming up with the Irish Times Second Hands Football Podcast today. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shawny man? What was the beginning of the Premier League season on? You, I don't know if you noticed between all the other top-class sport that was happening over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that, particularly what was the game of the weekend, the Arsenal 3, Liverpool 4 at the Emirates with Richie Sadler, who's coming into the studio too. To uh, join us. Excellent. Uh, the season has officially begun when Richie Rise in the studio. We're over to Rio now to chat to Ewan McKenna, who put some tough questions to Mo Farah after Farah's 10,000 metres gold medal on Saturday night. Ewan, just take us back to that press conference and um, maybe before you got involved in it, was he mostly being asked the standard questions about his amazing achievement and so on? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the questions kind of delved as low as Mo, would you describe this as Super Saturday and whatnot? Um, and I actually, I went down to the press conference maybe an hour early just to get a seat at the front because watching Farah's race, I just thought enough is enough. And I was following it on Twitter and I was seeing the kind of, the fawning reactions from people in, especially the English media, who would be hugely sceptical in a really, really good way about athletes from other countries, yet couldn't see by this jingoism, I suppose. So I went down early and I'm not saying Mo Farah is clean or dirty. I'm saying he has questions to answer and uh, from what I asked uh, he didn't answer them What did you ask? I've seen transcripts of it but can you broadly tell us what what, what was the question? Yeah I, I asked him I said for, for, for someone who preaches um, clean athletics very regularly I asked him uh, why does he have a need to associate himself with uh, dirty coaches uh, like Alberto Salazar like John Smith um, and like uh, Jama Adden and I said, as a thought, uh, secondly, I said, um, Jam Adden is this guy who was arrested, if people don't know, um, in Spain last month. There was a lot of EPO found in his hotel room. He, he coaches a lot of top athletes. Um, and a couple of months ago, British Athletics said to, were asked about this, and they said, no, no, uh, Mo Farah doesn't really know Jam Adden. He just held a stopwatch at a couple of his training sessions. So I said, um, I said to Mo, I said, if he just uh, held a stopwatch and nothing more, I said, why on his uh, this guy's daughter's Twitter feed has she pictures of you time and time again, a collage almost, having dinner in his house night after night? Um, and why is she saying that uh, her father trains you? Mm. Um, 
He was. I was surprised. I mean, I, I, I thought he'd be a little bit ready, maybe, for these questions. Which he didn't seem uh, to be. You know, uh, how was his... According to the... Okay, according to the transcript, he said... He said, sorry, who's that? As in, who, who are you talking about? And you said, Jamma Adden. And he said, well, obviously, you know, it's a small sport. There's so many athletes uh, getting pictures. By getting pictures of them, obviously, you're taking a picture. You're not going to say no, are you? So it doesn't mean you train with them. So even as I read that out, it, it doesn't sound totally coherent, maybe, to listeners. But what, what? It wasn't even the words. It wasn't so much even the words. I mean, his face just looked stunned and he completely went into himself. Um, and I think it got to him because I'm looking at... Uh, stuff in the Guardian and stuff yesterday he seemed to have done a press conference a day later for British journalists where he was talking about how the media need to get on side and get behind him um, so he was obviously troubled by it um, and, and, and I would always I, I, I would say if, if you have nothing to hide why are you hiding something um, and that answer he gave me was not true I have a lot of pictures in, in my laptop here I'm looking at them a lot of pictures of him uh, with Jama Adam going back to 2009, um, so it's not one selfie. So that 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 that's a false answer. So if you're if you're giving false answers, you're hiding something, as far as I'm concerned. What was the reaction in the room? We've we've seen this with Irish journalists in the past putting these sort of uncomfortable questions, you and to to people in, involved at top level sport. And there's not always there's not always broad support for that line of questioning. It was fine, actually. Right. People didn't say anything. They took they took the answer, um, and then at the end of the press conference, though, several journalists, uh, English journalists, came up to me and they said, uh, "They said thanks for asking that question, mate." Mm. Uh, to which my reaction would be, "Why don't you ask it?" Um, I wasn't even working; it was too late uh, for me to file anything on it. I just wanted to go down and get answers to for my own head, basically. But here you have working journalists who are congratulating you for asking a question that. They weren't willing to. Um, why do you think? I, I, why do you think that is? You know, why do you think they wouldn't ask it? I, I don't. A lot of people would say, "Oh, well, he's Irish; he can ask it. He's not part of the British media." But I, I, I would suggest that if you are part of the British media, it's more important that you ask it. I mean, what, what, are, what are you scared of? Are you going to be exonerated by British athletics? Are you going to like? Well, what's the problem? I, I, I found that I, I left. I left the, the press conference. And I left that night feeling as down about journalism as I did about Farah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, um, and then I mean, last night I mean I I I didn't go to the I, pl- I planned to go to the the Bolton and Gatlin press conference last night after the race, uh, and it, it was a freak show in terms of journalism. Um, it was getting in there. There was a crush amongst journalists. A lot of them didn't have tickets, but they were trying to push their way by security uh, just to see ten seconds of Usain Bolt, um, and just the absolute numbers of people there just fans, basically, uh, standing and applauding when he won. Did, did this kind of thing. Um, it seems to me, you know, that there's been quite a lot of good stuff done lately. Obviously, the Sunday Times, ARD in Germany stuff around uh, around the uh, Russian situation and more, everything that exposed. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's old school sort of investigative journalism, I guess. Um, there, it seems like everybody, does, it's certainly from a distance, there's a, there's a healthier scepticism now about what we see going on in Rio, but you're not getting that sense on the ground. Everyone, most people are cheerleading. I, I think, I think. I mean, there has been some great stuff, but I think it's pointed in, in the wrong direction to, at certain times. I mean, this Russia or that. Um, I think people got really excited when the US swimmers started calling out Russian swimmers 
and failed to step back and look at US anti-doping over recent years from Floyd Landis through to Steve Magnuson trying to blow the whistle on Galen Rupp and, and, and the Nike Oregon project. Nobody's doing that. I look, at, I look at Britain up to third in the medal table, competing with China and America all of a sudden, and winning a lot of their medals in track and field and cycling, these two disciplines that we know to probably be up there amongst the dirtiest. Yes, no, no, it cannot possibly be us. Um, and even a little bit in terms of Michael O'Reilly. I mean, I, I don't think as, as, as Irish people we like, to, we like to look in the mirror. I mean, uh, I was going through it. I, I was saying in, since 1996... If you were to put an asterisk beside or question the medals we have won in that time, Russia would have to have over a thousand questionable medals across those same Olympiads. Um, and I, I don't think we look at it that way. So I think, I, I think Russia are almost scapegoats. I think Justin Gatlin last night, for example, I think was a bit of a, a, bit of a scapegoat. And oh, yeah. Well, going- <laughs> yeah, the Justin Gatlin stuff was... We were talking about this earlier on. It was, it's hilarious how... Uh, how and he's, he's a designated. He's a, he's uh, a designated pantomime villain, and there was also this added theatre of these individual uh, entrances to the stadium, so that the crowd got to boom a little bit more. But can I just can we just go back to Farah for a second? Because he seems to think that he actually gets a raw deal from people in Britain, and he said that afterwards. He's like, maybe now everyone will start believing in me. It, 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 he said before the race, I saw that oh, it hurts me how people in my own country don't believe in what I'm doing. So if you were to go by Mo Farah, he he faces. Que- you know, questions like yours on a regular basis in the UK? N- not from the pieces I've seen. I mean, here, here, here was a guy who missed two uh, doping tests before the last Olympics. Uh, he said he slept in. He said his doorbell wasn't loud enough. Um, I mean, there's been this sort of thing for a long time. So my point would be, in a press conference like that, uh, these should be the questions, not would you call it Super Saturday, not would you do this, not would you do that. And what irked me maybe a little bit more than you're only allowed one question at these these press conferences. Um, I got my answer and he looked pretty shook. He didn't really answer my question at all. Mm. Uh, the next question in should have followed that up. I didn't have the microphone and it was, uh, where would you rate yourself in the pantheon of greats? Um so, I mean, I'm, I, that's why I'm looking around thinking, really, really, is this, is this where journalism is? And I, there are exceptions. There are some brilliant, brilliant British journalists. So you asked um, you ask your question and then it's immediately, just, just for people who have never been to a press conference, you ask your question and immediately the microphone is taken from you. So you don't have a chance to ask a follow-up even if you wanted to. You don't. In fact, I shouted my follow-up at him. Um, I said, what about your association to these coaches? Um, and he gave an answer for that. But by then, the microphone was gone. And there's a media manager sitting beside uh, Mo Farah who will point to the next person she wants to take a question. Mm. Did you get any uh, feedback from his camp afterwards? Is there anyone out there scolding you for asking such a question? No, I haven't. I haven't had that at all. And you know, God help them if they tried, because I, I would see that as the fundamental point of me being here. Um, I, I, I don't know why a lot of journalists are here mm. uh, when when they're asking those sort of questions. So no, and I mean, that wouldn't bother me. But no, I mean, I, I was out with the O'Donovan fellas yesterday for breakfast, um, which was, you know, it was a pick-me-up, I must say, because they're, they're, they're great guys. But no, no, I, I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be around the kind of the British camp at all anyway. Uh, this coach, Jama Aden, is... Uh, the coach of Dibaba, as in Genzebe Dibaba, who's you know the top fifteen hundred meter runner who uh, breezed through her semi-finals. So I guess all this, it, it, there's just a lot going on that seems to be leaving you fairly disillusioned over there. Yeah. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, this is what we're talking about. If, if I had gone to the press conference last night, I wanted to ask Justin Gatlin about the idea that he is the poster boy for dirty athletics when knowing what the world now knows about his sport, does he not think we should be delving into those around him on the track each night? Um, I, I actually felt bad for Gatlin last night, which is a remarkable thing that I never thought I'd say because Dubala went uh, in a race in the, in the uh, semi-finals of the 1500 metres a couple of races before him um, and again, there's no proof of anything wrong, but people aren't sceptical. She front-ran that heat in an incredible time. And all the while, I mean, I was, I was saying afterwards to people, I said, physically, that's incredible, but mentally, it's even more incredible because how is she dealing with her coach being in a Spanish prison for EPO? Mm. Um, and, 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 and just this, it's just this black and white idea of Gatlin bad, Bolt good, Tababa good. This, this, this kind of farcical notion without people delving any further into it. Yeah, fair enough. Listen, Ewan, great to catch up with you. Thanks a million. Pleasure. On that idea that the British media is giving Farah more of a free pass, I must say, I, I did feel a bit uncomfortable watching the BBC's commentary of that race if only for how Steve Cram called him over the line. So Mofar is finishing, he's, the kick has gone in, he's, he's ready to do it, he's, he's, ready to, he's about to win, you can quite clearly see it's going to happen. And you're probably prepared for that moment. I don't know if, how prepared Cram is. Different commentators do it different ways. But he says, oh, you know, he kicks her home, he goes in. The rest of them accept the inevitable. They bow to his superiority. I kind of figured they bow to his superiority. It's a little bit, a little bit, tri- but it's very triumphalist and it was kind of annoying uh, to be honest with you. Um, it's funny, I don't totally subscribe to the view that, like, obviously the BBC is going to cheerlead to a certain extent and is going to be ridiculously happy when they win gold medals and they were the same four years ago but I don't remember anyone having that much of a, an issue with it last year. Maybe it was because w- people in Ireland even got caught up a little bit more with the, with mm. the British athletes and so on because it was so close to us and all that side of things. But there, there is a sort of a, a strain of criticism this time. I don't know if you saw the Chris Hoy photo, for example. Chris Hoy yeah. tweeted a photograph of himself, uh, who was there, Bradley Wiggins. So it's basically himself, the, some of the presenters on BBC, and then some of the athletes all partying away, having a drink after winning the thing. And uh, there's, I don't know if that's the end of the world, but it certainly seems to, the idea is that it, that kind of thing threatens your credibility when you're supposed to be seriously analysing what's going on out there. Yeah, and I'm, I mean... People maybe look on this as a, as a binary thing that, okay, you can talk about Mo Farah and you can either express incredulity or you can be delighted uh, in, a, in an absolutely pure way. Hmm. So you, there's only innocent until proven guilty or, in your eyes, guilty. I mean, I don't think that that's actually the way it is. I mean, I think that there are shades of grey. I mean, Mo Farah is there because he hasn't failed a doping test. Mm. So he's allowed to compete and if he wins his gold medal then he's won his gold medal in the eyes of the IOC completely fairly. So you can obviously express delight that that's how it's happened but you can also say, you can also report what what a lot of people are talking about, that there are doubts about who he has trained with and who has trained him. Yeah, and there's specific doubts. Yeah, you, I mean, you explained yes. it there, it's a specific coach. You know, that's a, that's a, why I, I liked Ewan's question. It wasn't general... It wasn't this general, oh, you know, there have been doubts raised about you, Mo, because that's yeah. obviously easy to bat away anyway. It's a very specific question which he failed to answer. And yeah. Which is yeah, important. The, 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 yeah, exactly. There are relationships there that he needs to explain. Uh, and until he explains those relationships, he's not going to be held up as a paragon of virtue in the athletics world. Because I mean, You can't blame people for drawing conclusions based on the fact that he hangs out with uh, <laughs> doping coaches. 
Yeah, I but, mean, do you, but do you think the BBC is cheerleading too much? I don't know. Well, I, I, I think this is, a, this is generally a, a problem that happens, and this is going to sound a little pompous when I say this, uh, but when you replace journalists with former athletes, you know what I mean? And they're the ones who are, who are mainly, you know, Chris Hoy, for instance, hanging out. Now, the thing is, when Chris Hoy is there with, with Wigo and the, the cycling team, they are actually his... Mates. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 like that's where he's and you hire Chris Hoy because he's got uh, he's been there he's done it he can you know give you the insight or whatever but like you're going to have to I suppose accept that he's not he doesn't they're not really approaching it like journalists although, yeah although Ken you've got like say Steve Cram for example and some of the others are athletes and the way the BBC trained them up uh, Steve Cram was an athlete it's a long time ago now well, maybe they need to do a refresher course <laughs> you know what I mean because because there was that, I mean, I remember we were talking before about the Paula Radcliffe um, reaction. Remember jumping up and down in the commentary box. Oh, because when Justin Gatlin won the, well, sorry, when Usain Bolt beat Gatlin in the Worlds yeah. last yeah. year. I mean, that, that I, I, I found it ridiculous. But, you know, in, in, in defense of Paula Radcliffe, maybe she knows not what she does. You know what I mean? Maybe she doesn't see that there's a problem with that. I and mean, it could be the case. Look, these, if these are people who, and I, I said this was going to, um, maybe sound a bit pompous, but like journalism is a profession. It's not necessarily something you just know how to do automatically. You know what I mean? Um, if you spent your whole life being an athlete and then someone puts a microphone in your hand, you're not necessarily going to have a have a grasp of like the intricacies of well, you know, maybe I shouldn't just pose for a selfie with the guy who's just won the race because maybe in a sense that sort of affects my independence as, as a commentator and that's and that that's what I'm now getting paid to do to be an independent commentator. So maybe actually, you know, it doesn't necessarily occur to you. It's not immediately obvious, but I do think there's a bang of that off to BBC coverage. But you know, it's not necessarily just BBC. I mean, I, I think I think you can see it in football as well. I think you can see you can see instances of people who. At, work, at, work in particular jobs in football, let's say, which brings them into contact with particular circles within football. And then when they are, let's see if you can guess who I'm talking about. Um, people who do a particular job in the game, they, you know, familiar with a certain circle of people within that game. And then it seems often when they're commentating on the game that the people within that circle tend to play better than everybody who isn't in the circle or at least don't get criticised as harshly. I mean, yeah. you can see that's, a, that's something which is, yeah. which is going on. And it's, to, it's totally human. It's completely natural. It's just the norm, a normal human sort of political instincts. Is it great journalism? Definitely not. But, you know, what is great journalism these days is, as Ewan was saying, he's depressed about the, the future of the profession. Are the Irish athletes, well, just before we get into tonight's stuff, Michael Conlon obviously had his victory yesterday. Uh, I quite enjoyed Vanilla McCormick. Uh, as a as a marathon runner myself, of course, I quite enjoyed <laughs> Fanny McCormick finishing the top twenty, which was a really really good achievement in a sport with the depth uh, that long distance running has. But Michael Conlon looked great, even though he felt himself he wasn't at his best. Uh, he looked relieved more than anything, and his dad and coach John Conlon came out afterwards. I'm sure, you've probably seen this regarding the Michael O'Reilly positive test. There's no getting away from it. It has embarrassed us as a team. Uh, this is what he said to Adrian Ames and RT. He embarrassed Irish boxing and brought a terrible thing to Irish boxing. We we're very strict on anti-doping. We bring them to seminars, educate them constantly. We have zero tolerance. We were always ahead of everyone else. He then says, Michael already hasn't been with us for eight weeks. We met him at the airport and it was a big shock to the team. So I don't quite not know what to make of the, the uh, idea that, Con- that 
sorry, that um, Michael O'Reilly wasn't even around the camp for a number of weeks before. But it's interesting because you got the sense the entire time, and I said it last week, that there didn't seem to be much sympathy from the other fighters towards Michael O'Reilly. They didn't express any, and they could have. They could have said, we're all behind him. Uh, he hasn't done anything wrong, or if he has done anything wrong, it'll. He, yeah. we still have to offer him our support. They didn't do that at all. The stock line up till now has been, we just have to fight our own fights here and concentrate on our own thing. So clearly John Conlon was waiting, presumably for Michael to fight his first fight to... Uh, so, so that he could actually say something here and it was probably easier to say after Michael winning because if Michael had lost just anything his dad said might have been a bit seen as sour grapes in some way it was interesting but what, what have we got uh, what about tonight uh, right well we have Judy Reynolds in the dressage yeah, uh, freestyle that's 10 to 3 3 o'clock is Katie Taylor against Mira Potkinen mm-hmm. sorry are you just like rubbing your fingernails against the blackboard or something no, can, no I'm just my pencil see oh, you on right. over there he's scribbling down god that's so annoying do yeah, you know, well, does he, that sound not really annoy you no well I mean I've talked to Owen I mean he's the man oh. right so at 3.50 it is the 3000 meter steeple test with uh, Sarah Tracy yeah uh, 4 minutes to 4 is I the men's 400 meters hurdles <laughs> Thomas Barr sorry Thomas is there Thomas a Barr Thomas? heat 4 yeah. Uh, yeah Thomas yeah right there uh, 5 past 5 Adelise Murphy is in the laser radial the medal race Alre- that's the big already rumours that's going to be delayed as we speak yeah so uh, with 5 past 5 is down on the sheet okay, but yeah, it could maybe. be a little later than that but that's the big one that's a major medal hope along with Katie of course who could win bronze if she wins her fight and then it's the 49er uh, Brewster and Tidy uh, uh, in the women's and then McGovern and Seaton. That's at around, you know, five past five, but that'll mm-hmm. be later as well. Uh, Oliver Dingley is in the diving, three metre springboard. And uh, Scotty, too hotty, Scotty Evans. Scotty, too hotty, that's what I was waiting for. That's it's fine. the big one. It's the round of 16 against Victor Axelson. Dane, and I think Scotty Evans lives in Denmark. He's doubled down on his tops off. Oh, he for said. The boys he in he green. said, "God knows what's coming up if off if I win this match." Hopefully, just your top, Scott. To be honest, and you know what? If you ended the whole no, tops off thing, that would be fine too. No, that wouldn't be an issue for me. Oh, Murph. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, you you appear to be on board. You're all in for I'm Scott Evans. I'm cheerleading the, Scott, the Scotty Too Hotty uh, <laughs> tops off campaign. I hope Can't he takes the top off right the way to the final. All right, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Uh, we've got the football podcast out today. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank Enjoy you, the rest of the Olympics today. We'll talk to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.